welcome to Talking With Tech. I'm your host, Rachel Maynard, joined as always by Chris Bouguet. Hey, Chris. How's it going, Rachel? Good. You have a question for our audience this week. I do. Well, actually, it's not my question to the audience so much as that somebody wrote uh, me and asked a question, and I wrote that that person back, answered them, um, but I thought it was a great question that maybe other people would uh, be curious about and might have ideas about, that you might have ideas about, so I thought it was worth discussing. Are you up for it? Let's do it. All right, so this person writes, Chris, I met you several months ago at your presentation at the American Speech Language and Hearing Association Conference. We were there together, Rachel. We, we were. Wait, did I meet this person? <laughs> you only met I don't know. I, I, I don't know. She doesn't say. Well, and this might have been my presentation with um, Beth and Tali about gaming, because as you'll see here, the question rolls into some gaming questions. So it says, I wanted to touch base regarding a client I have. Uh, for reference, I work at a pediatric private practice, and I see clients in a one-on-one -on -one setting in sessions. This particular client just turned 17, happy birthday, client, and I see this person in co-treatment sessions with an occupational therapist. So in this case, it sounds like it's a two-on-one setting with two professionals with the, with the student. This student has spastic quadriplegic cerebral palsy, in addition to cortical visual impairment, hearing loss, and some other diagnoses. Uh, she is non-speaking and uses an eye gaze system. I typically help to get her to a specific page depending on the activity we are working on. However, I've seen her navigate pages where she is highly motivated, right? So when she's highly motivated, she navigates to pages on her own. But sometimes it sounds like the clinician here is getting her to pages on her AAC. That's something to talk about right there. Let's stop right there. What do you think about that? Yeah, um, it's a really good point to, to bring up. Actually, it was on a call last week and, you know, just checking in with the family. I set up an AAC system and, you know, that's something that's so important to look at clinically is how is the student navigating the device? Because we know that if we, if a student relies on us to open the food folder, open the toys folder, um, you know, how could they possibly learn how to become independent? Um, so I feel like it's something that oftentimes is overlooked. And as communication partners, we feel like we're doing such a great thing by, you know, easing that burden, especially with eye tracking. We know eye tracking technology is very fatiguing for, for all, you know, individuals, um, especially kids who are, you know, in wheelchairs and don't have a lot of mobility. They're using their eyes and that can get really tiring. But again, if we're not training the full motor plan, Meaning if we're going to get to bubbles and it's in the fun folder, like we need to really have students hitting fun and then bubbles if we're truly teaching from a motor planning approach. Um, and I think people don't realize that. Um, and so having a communication partner navigate to a page for a student, while it seems like that's really helpful um, and we can use that as an approach to scaffold the learning. We really need to make sure that after we, you know, the student is selecting that bubbles, then we then go back and teach them how to get to bubbles. Um, otherwise, we're going to have kids that are completely dependent on adults for support instead of being able to independently and autonomous, independently and autonomously communicate with us. Navigating to a folder uh, for somebody else is a level of prompting. Right. So I'm prompting you with one option of where you might want to say something. And then a, a, a technique on top of that or in adjacent to it is when you're doing your own self-talk, meaning when you're modeling on a on the device, you might be uh, narrating where you're going to. So in your bubbles example, it'd be like bubbles is in the fun page. So I want to say bubbles. That's in the fun page, like talking through as you're as you're getting there. So it sound like fair strategies. Yes, I love that strategy. I think I think aloud, um, just talking about what you're doing with students, and I also think that puts up, that takes a lot of pressure off of communication partners. We don't have to know where every single word is on an AAC system. We can simply say, "I'm not sure where Bubbles is. Let's take a look. Is it in the Things folder? No. Is it in the Fun folder? Oh, there it is. Right. That's a, a teaching opportunity for students." Yes. Yes. Okay. So uh, continuing on here, uh, what she writes is staring at the screen can be exhausting. Again, the student has cortical visual impairment and is using an eye gaze system. So right there, that is, it sounds like that could be exhausting. So staring at the screen can be exhausting. So we occasionally give her breaks to rest her eyes and give her the option to use switches or other communication methods. Makes sense. She loves Formula One racing, dogs, and the TV show Teen Titans Go. 
Now, of course, who doesn't love Teen Titans Go? I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's one of my favorite, uh, my, my own kids' favorite TV shows. It's um, like uh, Robin and Cyborg and Raven and these characters. Teen Titans are from the DC. They're, they're superheroes, right? But it's sort of like a, a campy. Anyway, I won't go off on Teen Titans. It's just a fun show. Um, so, But I just love that this person led in with uh, about this about the student included what the student's into, right? What the student really loves, because that is often left out of uh, descriptions like this, right? And it's something I bet when you get emails or when people reach out or when we're in conversations with people, we have to tease out with people. Well, let's find out what she likes. So it's awesome that this person kind of knew that. She writes, I never force her to use language she does not want. Your turn, good job, I win. We have done crafts, games like Uno, Clue-type games, apples-to-apples-type games. We've done baking activities. We've done games in which she has to rate uh, certain things. And in games where she gives the directions, I love that. That is so underutilized as a strategy because it's so much kids having to follow the directions of, of an adult or follow the directions of a game as opposed to them, to them giving directions. So this person, awesome, awesome. And here's the, here comes the question, Rachel. I wanted to see if you had any older kid or young adult games that you could recommend that could be adapted to be played with an eye gaze system that also incorporates some language. I appreciate your help. So, do you have any thoughts? Well, this points me to the episode I did with Kaylee Gustafson. She talks all about eye tracking in that episode, and this was kind of mid-pandemic where everyone was really struggling when they had eye tracking users. Um, but anything that you know you can pull up on a web browser can be accessible to a student who's using eye tracking. Um, and so I think that's really important when we're thinking about what games can we play, what digital games are there out there that you know we could pull up to engage the student. Yeah, what a great idea is to go back and listen to that episode and see what, and I, I, I should have done that. I should have pointed it to that episode to, to go back and listen to it and find out some other strategies there that Kaylee might have mentioned. Um, so one of the things that I wrote back here is I said, um, here are some thoughts. Number one, experiences that help others. So anytime I hear someone talk about a student being looking for uh, activities that might engage or motivate a student, I often lead with this idea that many people like helping other people. <laughs> and so much of what we invite students to do in uh, therapy or really edu any educational experience is passive, consume something or participate in a game that is the only purpose for the game is, is, um, is to consume, to participate in it, right? Um, so I like to think about how can we invite the people that we're working with to maybe create a game or create an experience for somebody else. So that's what I said here is well, I wonder um, if this student who's, who seems to, uh, let's say, enjoy uh, stuff like Formula One racing, dogs, and the TV show Teen Titans, I said, um, I wonder what this student would do with helping write a book for a family member or a group of young learners, right? So if the student just turned 17, how about can we work with an elementary school and write books for an elementary school, something like that, Turn, inviting the student to become an author? Um, I thought about what could you generate to help at a local pet shelter or some sort of media advertisement for the local veterinary clinic or something like that, an adoption agency, right? Really authentic work here. Let's create something that actually might um, benefit. And that really brings me to um, uh, when we went to ATIA and we were in the session with Sarah Gregory and um, Lauren Enders talking about uh, Canva and building stuff in Canva. I know you've been doing stuff uh, in that realm too, where it's not like just build something in Canva to show to students, but invite students to build something in Canva uh, for themselves. Or in this case, like I'm suggesting for others, uh, building something for a pet shelter or a veterinary clinic or something to help with animals if, you, if the student really is motivated by animals. Um, so those were two ideas that I had there. And then mentioning the games, I was like, what if we invited this uh, student to make a game uh, about Teen Titans for a family member, like a niece or a nephew, or again, for younger students? Uh, and that could be as simple as making a board game. Um, I, I have done board games where it is a... 
manila envelope and you're just using a bingo dabber or your um and so of course the, the, in this case maybe the student is not using the bingo dabber maybe they are uh, i'm not exactly sure it sounds like using switches but i'm not sure exactly um how the student might be using switches so again giving commands to use the bingo dabber or there's other modifications that can be made for making spaces on the on a board it doesn't have to be a manila envelope it could be a piece of paper it could be digital again uh lesson picks has game boards for instance uh, it's not a free resource but um there's ways to make game boards you know powerpoint whatever there's tons of ways to just make uh game boards um and then i, I talked about something like um you know, tying it to Teen Titans Go, like have this little image of Robin or Cyborg or Raven or Star, uh, Starfire, I think was one of the characters. You know, you could have these images and when you land on Robin, all right, let's talk about it. What's going to happen if you land on the Robin space? Well, Robin helps you. So you go go ahead three spaces or you land on Cyborg, but his um, uh, his laser is broken from his eye. So uh, we have to stop and repair it. You lose, lose a turn or whatever, stuff like that. Um, and then uh, the other thing that I've always liked with this for like motivational activities might be if she is consuming content like that, like Formula One Racing and um, Teen Titans Go, could we go onto a social media website and post a review of an episode, um, uh, talk to uh, a Formula One racer and leave a comment on their YouTube video? I don't know. Again, some sort of uh, authentic authoring of putting words together to provide your opinion or provide feedback in some sort. So what do you think about those, Rachel? Love all those ideas. Super excited that you mentioned Canva because that was the first thing I thought about. I've been loving Canva in my therapy sessions and there's a few things that I feel like would be really helpful for this student in particular. One, it's web-based, so the student could theoretically activate um, and it is accessible. Two, we have the ability to create high contrast. So if you're working with students that have cortical visual impairment, we know that we could uh, create uh, activities and uh, visual images that are high contrast, meaning they have a black background um, with red or yellow, um, not too visually uh, cluttered. Um, things like that I feel like are really easy to do when you're creating something. So I love the idea of creating a game board and that's something that could be really easy to do together in a therapy session. And then also you could use that game board. Again, Canva's awesome. You could literally pull in an image of these characters. Canva has an amazing feature where you can remove the background. So, you know, typically when you pull in a, a picture, it's a square, right? And it has a background. Even if it's a white background, it has a background. Um, Canva has a background uh, remover so that you can remove the entire background so it actually looks like a character. You can move it around. Um, so I feel like something like that could be really motivating. And um, also you could share it. Like you could share that with the student's family or with peers in the classroom or with the teacher. Um, there's so many different ways that you could do that. So I feel like Canva here would be a really great resource um, for multiple, multiple reasons. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Uh, couldn't agree more. Uh, the next suggestion that I had was playing role-playing games. So it's uh, it, it sort of makes sense to me um, that there's if she likes superheroes and likes Teen Titans Go, then pretending that you're a hero of some sort and you're on some sort of mission to save the dogs that were missing or captured or lost or whatever, right? Um, being some sort of hero like that and pretending to do that either alone or with a party of other people could be, it sounds like the sessions are one-on-one, -on -one, um, but inviting uh, uh, maybe other learners to participate. Either way, even if it was just a single session, um, uh, meaning uh, the, the she's there by herself, uh, playing a role-playing game where you take on a persona and you get to decide aspects of the character that you're playing, uh, characteristics, you know, of the character, outfits, um, uh, what the what the character could look like, um, all sorts of different um, occupations that the that the person might do. But uh, to going on some sort of fictitious mission that motivates the student is super fun. Now, to learn more about that, um, uh, Katie Robertson, Sean Pearson, and I did a session at AAC in the Cloud of, back in 2021 
all about using role-playing games with AAC users uh, with this in mind. So create a hero and put, take that hero on an adventure and and do something like that. There are, um, if that's totally new to you listening to this, or in this case, the person I was writing back or the OT that's working with them, um, there are commercial games you can get. One of them is called No Thank You Evil that uh, Sean Pearson sort of introduced to me and we talk about in that uh, AEC in the Cloud session. So if you're like, wow, that sounds a great idea, but I don't know how to do that at all. There's, there's stuff that you can buy that will guide you through it. Um, so that was an idea. What do you think? Love that. I was part of that session, Chris, back in 20, 2021, um, and I loved it. And since then, I'd like to give you an update on role-playing games. So I have been definitely more interested in using role-playing games. And one of the strategies that I've been using is, because a lot of my kids benefit from visual support. So as we're going through kind of this role-playing scenario, um, we're creating something. And I, again, I think Canva could be a really good resource for this. Um, if you're trying to figure out what your, you know, uh, your hero or your main character is wearing, like you can give lots of options. So like we're figuring out, do you think he should have sunglasses or a hat or he's hungry, right? I'm doing a lot of kind of pretend play and imaginative play, but then also like anchoring it into something that's visual and then we're kind of talking about it and then we're like writing a sentence. So it's almost like a book that we create, like this keepsake um, that I feel like has been really helpful for my students for a variety of purposes. Um, but I think the visual aspects of like when something changes in the story and now all of a sudden they're going to the zoo, it's like that that visual imagery I think could be really powerful for kids to keep like their imagination going. Because my, my, my the biggest challenge sometimes with kids is like, if you don't give them options, they just like, I'm like, what should happen next? It's so broad, it's so open-ended that they can't come up with anything. So we can use kind of visual imagery to cue them and be like, okay, there's a picture of a zoo and I know that panda bears are at the zoo. So, you know, what if they they run into a panda bear, right? Like, so I feel like that has been really helpful for me with some of my students who are struggling, kind of just coming up with something in thin air, you know? Um, and it's also just been a really great literacy tool. So we're also like writing and, you know, they see the sentence and I'm like, I have the opportunity to pull the keyboard out. And I'm like, hmm, what letter does Panda Bear start with? Right? Like there's so many different ways you can incorporate all these things into your sessions. So such good practical strategies you just shared there, right? For bringing that in. Um, all right. So I have a couple other ideas. Yeah. I, I, Chris, I don't know that we're going to have time. I have ideas too. I just played a really fun game and I want to talk all about it, but I think we're, we're out of time for this week. All right. Let's save it for the next, because this is a two-part episode, is it not? It is. So I had the pleasure of working with Sarah Lockhart. Sarah Lockhart is a co-host uh, to the SLP Happy Hour podcast. So Sarah reached out to me, um, I guess this was probably maybe December um, or maybe it was before that. Sometime in, you know, late last year in 2021, Sarah Lockhart reached out to me. She has an AAC case that she's kind of really had a lot of challenges trying to figure out what to do and trying to figure out how to get this student in the AAC system, where to start. So she reached out and said, hey, like, would you be willing to do kind of like a coaching call? And we would put it on the podcast, her podcast, SLP Happy Hour. And I said, sure. And then I thought, why not put it on our podcast? We had a really amazing uh, talk all about how she can help support this student. And I'm kind of coaching her through the process um, and asking her a lot of questions to get to the bottom of where do we go next for this student. Um, so it was a really great conversation. So we're about to listen to part one of the coaching call that I did with Sarah Lockhart. Hey there, if you love listening to this podcast, we would be so, so grateful for your support to keep it going. By becoming a Patreon member, you can not only help us cover the cost of this podcast, but you can get some really great bonus content as well. We post video tutorials, behind-the-scenes recordings, and bonus segments from our interviews. We would love for you to join us by going to patreon.com slash talkingwithtech. This is Sarah Lockhart, and I am joined today by Rachel Madel, AAC expert. Hi, Rachel. 
Hey, I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, today we're going to go over a case study for a school-age student um, that is an AAC case study. And before we get into that, would you mind introducing yourself? Absolutely. So I am Rachel Madel. I'm a speech-language pathologist. I geek out on technology. Um, a lot of people know me for AAC, Augmentative Alternative Communication, but I use all types of assistive technology in my practice. I love using YouTube videos and GIFs and really fun interactive technology just to motivate students to get them communicating. Um, but yes, also love AAC and do a lot of presenting on the topic, have courses on the topic, uh, have a podcast, uh, talking with tech on the topic. Um, so do lots of things, but all kind of under the umbrella of assistive technology. All right. So before we get started, if it's okay with you, I would like to do a lightning round of random questions. So there are five questions. Go ahead and just answer the first thing that comes to mind. How does that sound? That sounds great. I'm a little scared, but I'm, I'm ready. I'm here for it. <laughs> I'll go fast. Uh, we like to scare our people at the beginning and get it over with. Okay. What is something surprising that you've done in the past few years, COVID years, or something about yourself that has surprised you during this time? Does this have to be COVID related? No. Just be something No, random. just late. Okay. Mm -hmm. okay. The last thing that I did that was pretty shocking to myself um, and some of my family members was I went uh, diving with sharks. So I, I know it sounds like it does sound crazy, doesn't it? When I say yeah. it out loud yeah. um, and not in a cage, I always thought like, if I did that, I'd be like, mm -hmm. okay, I'll be in a cage. It'll be kind of scary. I did free diving with sharks. Um, I've been spending some time in Hawaii and it, I had the opportunity to go and jump in the water with a bunch of sharks and it was super scary. But also I love looking at things that scare me and kind of leaning into that. And the older I get, I feel like the more I do that. And this is one of those things. I was really nervous and felt like, okay, you're nervous. You're scared. Like let's lean in. And it was a really amazing experience. So that's definitely something that shocked me. And also my family was like, you're doing this normally. <laughs> like, are you crazy? I am so surprised. I can't, I'm speechless. I can't imagine doing that. Uh, that is very surprising. Okay. This is an easier one. What's an SLP resource you use often, whether it's like a workbook you go to a website you go to, maybe it's an expert you go to. Okay. So there's this app. Um, all the students that I work with know it as the dragon game. Um, cause there's dragon, there are dragons in it, but the actual name of the app is called peppy wonder world. And I love this tool. I've been using this for years at this point and there's different islands and it's very, it's character based. You can pull up characters. You can do lots of things. You can make the characters eat. It's kind of like, you know, an interactive dollhouse experience, kind of like my play home. If, if anyone's ever heard of that. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's so great for a variety of different kinds of students different ages, different targets. Um, you know, with my younger students, I'm working on just basic, uh, language skills, getting them to use descriptors. Um, with my older students, I'm working on problem solving and perspective taking. There's so many different things with that tool. Highly recommend it. I think like each Island. So it's like a setup in islands. You can take a boat to different islands and each Island you have to pay for. I probably spent like $20 on the app, but it's worth every penny because every time I see a student, they're like, are we going to play the dragon game? Um, and I make sure to call it the dragon game because I don't want kids to be downloading this app and playing it, you know, when they're not with me. Yeah. And so I'll have kids come back and be like, mommy couldn't find the dragon game. I'm like, good. <laughs> Mommy's never going to be able to find that dragon game. So anyway, that's a tool that I love and I use it with so many different students. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Uh, what is something you've dreamed of doing, but have not done yet? Great question. I, you know, I just got off of a webinar and there were a few people from Australia and I would love to visit Australia. I know they're basically mm -hmm. locked down and I don't know, I hope they open back up soon. Um, mm -hmm. but that's something that I've always wanted to do. I've always wanted to explore Australia and New Zealand. I feel like I've done a ton of traveling all throughout the world. And mm -hmm. those are two areas that I would really love to see. And I've always been really attracted to the beach and the ocean and, you know, outdoors and hiking and 
and things like that. And I feel like there's so much of that in those areas. So um, that's the first thing that came to my mind was like Australia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Australia. I have some of my favorite shows are filmed in Australia. I love like family dramas. So if anyone's listening and also loves Australia, there's something called Under the Vines. It's new and it's on Acorn and it's really good. And it's a, it takes place in an Australian winery. Okay. Um, if a friend texted you right now and said, Hey, I need a recommendation, like a book, show, movie, YouTube channel, whatever. I need a recommendation for something fun to listen to watch right now. What would you recommend to them? Um, I tend to like read for a purpose, which is like Mm -hmm. something I'm trying to get out of. I'm trying to do more like reading for pleasure, but I'm always reading like self-help books and Mm -hmm. like productive things. It's hard for me to do not productive things, like just for fun. I'm like, "Hmm, what is fun? (laughs) What is that like? (laughs) People who read for fun. Um, I'm guessing probably like a TV show, maybe. Um, I actually really like the show Atypical. I feel like they do a really good job and it, it is obviously meaningful to me because I work with a lot of autistic students. Um, I think that show is really interesting and especially because of the work that you know we do in our field, um, I'm really interested because I feel like I notice subtleties of the show that maybe other people won't recognize or realize. Um, so I don't know. That might be the first thing that comes to my mind. I just watched uh, the news. They have a new season out. Um, so atypical. That's my that's my recommendation that's i have not watched atypical yet so that is a great recommendation uh last lightning round question other than swimming with sharks what is a day in your life in the past year or so which you have just a very you know salient memory of that you won't forget for quite a while so just like a a special day Mm -hmm. Well, actually, so I, so it's funny you asked that because this is just the first thing that pops to my brain. I think that's the whole point of this, right? Um, I had a really amazing session. So like I said, I had been spending some time in Hawaii, splitting some time between LA, which I own a private practice in LA, but a lot of the work that I've been doing is being done virtually. Um, A lot of the work that I do in my practice is coaching communication partners. And I find that that's even easier to do through telepractice than it is in person. Um, We watch videos back of interactions and I pause them and we kind of go through strategies together and I ask reflective questions. So a lot of what I do in my practice is coaching. Um, I'm able to do that from anywhere, which is really amazing. So I've been spending more time in Hawaii and I have a family that actually I have been working with pro bono. Um, they, I said, I will do an AAC assessment for your child. Um, if you'll allow me to record the whole process and share it when I do speaking events. Um, also I have of course, AAC ally. Um, it's all about how do we select tools for students? And I wanted to add more video cause I have a lot of video content of me doing AAC assessments in the course and everyone's like, we want more video. So I'm like, okay, how do I get more video? So anyway, the day that I'm thinking about was a day that I went over to the family's house and the student has been really struggling, not being able to communicate. And it was the first time in a while that I've done an assessment in person. Um, and it, it's just like, so it's so nice. Like, I feel like I'm just like sitting in front of my computer screen every day and like, you know, it's definitely meaningful and I love the work that I do and I love the freedom and flexibility, but just like, there's nothing like just being with a child in person and playing with them. And just like, it was just like that like, in-person interaction I was so starved mm-hmm. for. Um, and so, and also it was very meaningful to work with a Hawaiian family, um, mm-hmm. just because I've been, you know, spending a lot of time here mm-hmm. and it just feels really good to kind of give back to that community and to be a part of it. Um, mm-hmm. just because it doesn't feel like, um, part of that community necessarily, um, as far as the work that I'm doing, because most of the families that I work with are in LA and, you know, other places mm-hmm. in the country. But anyway, so that was a really great day. And the kid did amazing. Like mm-hmm. he started using the AAC that I was trialing and everybody was so excited and cheering. So that is like the thing that comes to mind. Um, that was such a great day. Love that day. Mm-hmm. And sometimes those days with kids are great days, but sometimes they're like the really hard days that like you just laugh about later and you'll never forget. Totally. Yeah. Both. yeah. Okay. Uh, Before I get into the case study, how did you get interested in AAC? 
Great question. So it was kind of out of necessity because I was working with some some students. One student in particular, I'm thinking about, um, autistic, four years old. He had tons and tons of behaviors because he had so much frustration that he couldn't communicate. And I... I, I was fresh out of graduate school. I knew some about AAC, but didn't know a lot. And this student was not responding to anything I was doing. And I was so, and, and he had to be taken into like this room that had nothing in it. Like he was destroying things. He was climbing on things. He had a lot of sensory needs. Now looking back, I'm like, that kid had sensory regulation issues. Like I wish that I would have known what I know now, yeah. right? Um, but I started making progress progress with this student that was so challenging to, and, and everybody wrote him off. Everyone was like, no, like he's just doesn't listen. And his preschool was like, uh, uh, mm-hmm. like, you know, he, he's not going to learn how to communicate. You're like, I, I'll never forget that one of the teachers told me like, you know, you're wasting your time with him. And I was like, mm-hmm. okay, like I just started. And also like, but then like deep down, I was like, am I, <laughs> am yeah. I not going to make progress? You know, it made me question myself. But mm-hmm. anyway, the, the way that I actually started seeing progress with this student was through low tech AAC that eventually transitioned to high tech. I just like took a picture of this like shape sorter toy that he was obsessed with and he started giving it to me. And I was like, wow, like, look at this. And then of course it was like, we needed more words. And I was like, okay, high tech. And then after that I was kind of sold. And it was like all of these kids that had the most challenging, you know, behaviors. And I was so interested in how I could help those, those kids. Um, cause I feel like sometimes those kids, they can't find clinicians to work with those kids, you know? And, and so many of the parents that come to me in my practice now, they've had that experience or like, we've been told he's too severe. Uh, they, they won't work with him. And so I just like felt super passionate about like, I will be the clinician that can work with these kids and can make a difference. And the more I learned about AAC, the more I kind of went down rabbit holes, which is definitely part of my personality. If I'm interested in something, I feel like I need to learn everything about it immediately. And so I just spent hours and hours and hours researching and talking to people and trying to learn as fast as I can. Um, and that's what happened with AAC. And it just like totally changed my career and changed the trajectory of my career. And um, yeah, I just like, it became super passionate about helping those kind of subset of kids that felt really challenging for other clinicians. I was like, no, I will figure this out. And then the more I did it, the more I loved it. And here we are. My heart is melted in a puddle, Rachel. It's like hot chocolate and marshmallows all melted. I just, yeah, I think the past, however long of pandemic times, it's been really difficult to be an SLP. So something I really appreciate about talking to you is your passion about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like, it's interesting because I feel like a lot of people say that when they hear me present, they're like, wow, she's so passionate. Mm -hmm. Um, I felt like I have this like special, like magical power in some ways and this like hidden gem of a secret. And it's like, I just feel like I need to share it with people, which is why I do the podcast. It's why I do the speaking events that I do. And, you know, it's not like I do anything that anyone else can do. You know, it's just that like, I figured out ways to talk to people about AAC and empower people because it's a lot of adult learning with AAC. Mm -hmm. The adults around a child using AAC need to learn how to use it. And that's how you can have success. And so, you know, I think that if we can figure out what our specific um, gem of wisdom or the way that we think about things or talk about things, if we can bring that to the work that we do, um, you know, people resonate with that. Like it really connects with people. And I think we all have that in some ways. Like we can all bring the passions that we have to the work that we do if we think about it kind of outside of the box. Yeah. So let's get into um, our case study. So our case study is Connor. Connor is a second grade student in a self-contained classroom. Connor is an autistic student. He does have echolalia and a lot of gestalts. So he will say things like yes or no, yes or no, if he's asked a question. He also has a significant amount of anxiety that is, you know, there's a family history of anxiety. And you can you can tell um, he's a kiddo who likes to be in control. Um, he loves songs. He loves dinosaurs. <clears throat> he loves colors. 
And um, he really has quite a bit of language, but it's not really functional. It's mostly nouns. Mm-hmm. Um, and he doesn't have a lot of communicative function. So he'll request, for example, um, we're playing stepping stones and they all have different colors. And he's like yellow. And I'm like, Oh, do you want the light yellow or the dark yellow? And he'll just say yellow louder and louder and louder. I'm working on asking fewer questions. Cause when I ask him questions, it seems stressful to him and he'll just repeat yes or no, yes or no, yes or no. Cause I think that that's what people have said to him. Mm-hmm. Um, but he is in a classroom that is very behavioralist based and uses like a behavior based program And so the teacher says, I am a fill in the blank, her favorite behavior philosophy classroom. And she also says we are a PECS classroom. So he has, you know, the nouns, um, which he doesn't really need because he can verbalize those. But again, things like he's not using verbs, he's not answering questions, he he doesn't seem to understand verbs. You know, there's a lot of language learning that needs to happen there. Um, so that's Connor. I don't know if you want to just like ask clarifying questions or if I should just start with my questions. What, how do you want to do this? Okay. Let me get a little bit more information before you ask specific questions. So does this student, have you ever trialed AAC with a student or any type of besides, and, and it sounds like there's pecs going on in the classroom, but he doesn't really need it because he can already label all the nouns in his environment. Yes, correct. And we've tried um, like a core board and it's very cute because he's, he will point to it, but not the right space as he says it. And he does seem to, and again, it's a low tech core board, but he does seem to attend to it and verbalize and point um, and use new words when we use the core board, but he has never had like an AAC assessment or trialed high tech devices. No. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the, his use of AAC currently with the, the light tech or the communication board. So you're saying that he will touch an icon on the communication board. Will he say the word that he's touching? No, he'll say the word he means. He'll say the correct word. Like, for example, let's say we want to open a box and I model open. Um, He'll just touch the board in a random place, but he'll say open, whereas he doesn't normally have that word. Gotcha. So he's he's imitating what he hears you say verbally. And he knows there's an expectation to touch something, (laughs) but he doesn't know what he's touching. That's really cute. cute. It's very sweet. It's super cute. (laughs) Okay. So, so I'm hearing there's a lot of echolalia and verbal imitation. Mm-hmm. So I'm happy that you tried a communication board. So there, there's some limitations with the communication board. Yeah. One, it doesn't have the auditory output. And that's probably the most important for people to kind of understand. Um, because that auditory output, touching the word and hearing the word and seeing the word, all of those things together really does create a magical experience for a child learning language through AAC. And that's one of the reasons it's so powerful. And that you don't have that with high tech or with uh, light tech AAC or communication board, right? Um, And so I'd be really interested to see how this student um, would respond to something that actually like when you touched it, it said something because I'm, I'm, I'm sure he would start getting to the habit of touching it and then imitating it. Right. Because he has echolalia. So that would be great. And it wouldn't be random because he would be able to listen perhaps, and then decide, Oh, I, she said open and I'm trying to find open. And he might do some scrolling to find the word that you said. Um, or he might not, but regardless, he'd start hitting the buttons, hearing the word and start attaching that symbol with the word. And then we as communication partners could model in meaningful ways, how he could use that word. Um, so anyway, I think that there's a power to the high tech AAC in this situation. Um, okay. Tell me, tell me what his spontaneous language looks like. So whenever I'm thinking about what is a child, you know, what's a child's current language look like? The first question I, I ask is what, what does spontaneous language look like? Because a lot of these kids are very good with prompted language, but what, when you take away all the adult supports, what's left? So 
there's not a lot left. Um, the only one example I can think of, of a, this is the example I can think of. I want to be clear. This is not the only play-based activity we've done, but it's the one I can think of in this moment. Um, we played with like a frozen castle and there was like Anna and Elsa and he, and you would climb up the stairs and then you could go to like the second story. And then there's a slide on the other side. Mm-hmm. So he took a figurine and he said, Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall and knocked it down, which was very appropriate for the toy itself. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, I see him trying to engage, but, uh, and, and really, I think that desire is there, but that's really the only thing I can think of. Um, Not prompted. He will ask for things, usually colors or items like duck, 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 duck. And he doesn't really have any communication repair. So it will just get louder and louder. Um, He gets very upset. There's lots of communication repair that needs to happen. So there's lots some some like dropping to the floor and crying or just like feeling really frustrated and I I do feel really bad for him but yes okay so your question is what is left if he's not doing scripted language and I would say some noun requests and even though he knows hundreds of words they're they're not appearing I, you can probably say this in a better way because you do AAC but do you know kind of what I'm trying to say. You mean you're not hearing the language that he has independent or spontaneous? Yes. It requires a high level of prompting in order for him to use the language that he has. Unless it's a request for a highly preferred item, in which case he knows hundreds of words for things he likes. Will he say the single word or will he put it in a phrase? He'll say like... He will say single word or he'll say want and single word because that's what he's learning in another therapy he goes to. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, how often, and these, by the way, these questions are all questions that I ask parents when I'm working with parents uh, or teachers. So the coaching that I'm doing with you, you can literally take these questions and ask parents, teachers, whoever you're talking to about your students. Um, if you're thinking about the entire day and I know you're probably not with him the entire day. So think about your entire session. Um, what is the percentage of time that he's using spontaneous language? Meaning like in your session of an hour, is Mm -hmm. he saying something spontaneously once? Is he saying it 10% of the time, 80% of the time, like 2% of the time, what percentage would you say he's using language spontaneously without adult support or prompts? One to two times in a session. Um, and there are some, because of the anxiety, there are some like verbal repetitions that he'll ask for things. Um, that's not straight echolalia. It's like an anxious, like, I, uh, um, well, it is echolalia, but it's also kind of an anxious, almost like a verbal stim. Mm-hmm. Um, but it can also seem like it's maybe a request. It's hard to tell. So yeah, very little, like less than 10% easily. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So asking these questions really helps us figure out. Typically a lot of the students that I work with are very prompt dependent. So even when they have verbal speech, they need a lot of prompting and modeling and things like that to actually use it. And then, you know, it, it, we get into this vicious cycle where kids have learned that I only talk when someone tells me to, or I only talk when someone asks me a question. So without AAC and I'm building, I'm building here a picture for myself as a clinician to figure out, okay, where do I go? What kinds of things am I going to target for this student? Independent initiation is something I want to target initially um, because he needs a lot of prompting. So how do we get kids out of that prompt dependence? We need to strategically target situations where they can independently initiate. The other thing I'm doing here is building a case for AAC because for students who have verbal speech, people are like, why would we need AAC? Like they can talk. Um, And so I really need to build a case for what do they say on their own? And most of the time it's not much. And so without AAC, you literally have nothing else other than to give him words and have him imitate you. There's nothing else. 
because if he can't find the word, and, and oftentimes we don't even know necessarily what kids want to say, which is causing frustration and behaviors and all these things. And so without AAC, you just are in this vicious cycle where you say what you think he wants to say, and then he repeats it back. And that doesn't actually move the needle for language, spontaneous language, um, autonomous, independent communication. It doesn't move the needle. And so AAC is so invaluable because all of a sudden we give students the ability to look at an array of options and then decide what they want to say based on what they can see. And obviously it takes modeling and repetition and things like that in order for them to know what they're looking at. Um, But it immediately gives context for what they could say. Um, It slows down the process too. So I am able to scan an AAC system and see like what my options are and then use whatever word I think makes the most sense. Um, It also allows us as educators and clinicians to scaffold our prompting in a way that gets closer to independent communication because giving high levels of, of verbal models and prompts, that's not really close to independent communication. But if I can, you know, pause and maybe that doesn't do it, and I can gesture to the AAC system or point, you know, in the direction of the AAC system, that's one step closer than verbal prompting to get to independent communication. And so we're able to use visual cueing as a way to scaffold the learning support for a student. And so these are the kinds of things that I'm explaining to families when they're like, why would I need AAC? And like, here's why. <laughs> Here, Hey, teacher, here's why AAC is really important because, you know, eventually this will lead to more independent communication. So, you know, understanding kind of what the student is doing, and this is like a very typical profile of like many of the students that I work with. Um, So I think that trialing high-tech AAC makes a lot of sense. Focusing on independent initiation makes a lot of sense. Um, And, you know, having some type of tool like AAC to do that just allows the student to be more successful. Um, and so, you know, we can talk about, and I'm happy to answer some specific questions that you have, but we can talk about where to get started. Cause I feel like oftentimes it's like, cool. Okay. I know AAC is great. Now I know how to talk to family about it. They're on board, but like, what do I do? <laughs> like mm-hmm. what's next? So I'm happy to talk about what's next, but we also can, um, if you have any questions that have come up kind of since I've been talking through it, I'm happy to answer the questions. Yeah. I think I want to know what's next and specifically two things. One is do we have to do this thing where we like trial a bunch of high tech AAC (laughs) devices and create and do this huge, like, you know, AAC eval in all capital letters that takes hours and hours, especially if we don't have access to an AAC team. And the second question that's a part of that is what resources can we tune into? Like where I am specifically, there's not a place to borrow them. Sometimes disability services will give kids iPads and iTunes gift certificates so we can buy something like Proloquo. But um, I haven't tried to get insurance funding. Um, Typically, you know, this school is using PECs, so they're not, you know, eager to pay for something. So like, just, I mean, like in the real application, we know that this is great, but like, how in the world do we get it? And so that question goes as far as like the AAC process, but also, you know, moving forward with intervention. Yeah. So I think the first, you bring up a lot of good points, first of all, because like, it's like, okay, great. High tech, robust AAC for all. You know, you hear that, you hear me talk about that on my podcast all the time, but in the real world, there's roadblocks to that. It's like, there's funding issues there. What device do we get? You know, every place typically has a lending library. Now it's not always accessible. It doesn't always have what you need. Um, but I would look into your, you know, locations lending library if there is one. Um, The other thing is if you're a clinician with a license to practice as a speech language pathologist, you can typically reach out to a lot of speech generating app companies and say, I want to trial your technology with my students. Can I get a free license? And so requesting a free license is something that allows you as an SLP to put on your device um, potential systems that you could trial. And I say that because oftentimes SLPs are like, 
wait, I can get these for free? Because they're like reaching out like, when is that sale? Every year they have like an AAC awareness sale, all the companies. And I'm like, girl, don't pay for it. Like tell them you got to show your license. Like they'll give it to you. Um, No, sometimes you have to jump through some hoops. Like I know LAMP uh, and PRC, you have to like go to one of their trainings and there's different requirements, but get what you have access to. If I also recommend getting familiarity with what, system is, uh, you know, most used in your area because there's different kind of hotspots for different systems, depending on where you are. So just having conversations with other providers, other SLPs, school districts, what do you use typically for high-tech AAC in your district? Um, or what do you have familiarity with? Um, starting to get a pulse on what, you know, what system is used in the area. And the reason that's important is because whatever system you end up recommending or trialing, for example, you want people to have some familiarity with it because they're more likely to use it if they've seen it before. Um, you know, half the battle with AAC is getting adults to use it, getting adults to model language on it. Um, so I like to ask the question, what familiarity do you have with AAC? Um, and that is a good launching off point for figuring out, okay, most of the people in this area use lamp words for life. I need to figure out a way to get that on my iPad. That's where I'm going to start with this student. Um, do you need to do like a traditional AAC assessment where you do three trials? Um, that depends. If you need to eventually write a funding report to get it funded through, you know, medical insurance um, or some type of other funding source, then yes, you probably will need to do three trials. Um, But if you're just working with a student and perhaps the family is like, sure, we'll pay out of pocket for this, for this app, if it's, it's going to help him, um, you know, no, you don't need to trial three things just for the sake of it. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people are like, well, I need to, because that's the rules. Well, the reality is how do we decide what we trial? Like as someone who does a lot of AAC assessments, it, it's, you know, I have an idea based on what I'm hearing from the family and what familiarity they have and, you know, all of these kind of considerations. And then it's like, if I technically have to do three, but he's doing great on the first one, like, mm-hmm it's just random. I'm like, cool. I guess I'll trial a communication board. I guess I'll Mm -hmm. try all these other things. I feel like that won't be good. You know, Mm -hmm. it's just like, it's stupid. It really is. Now I understand you have to do it for funding and things like that. So there's a time and a place for it. And I do it too. But if I'm being real with you guys, it's just like, okay, lamp is working. I don't really need to trial anything else. So Mm -hmm. the only reason you would need to do three systems would be for a funding reason or like perhaps your district needs that or whatever. Uh, It is common practice in a traditional AAC assessment to do three trials. Um, Okay. So does that kind of answer your question about like the whole AAC kind of logistic process? 